how does a parent who has ADHD herself and three kids with the same diagnosis develop a program to support complex kids and write several books and coach adults and do all kinds of things? are listening to Finding Your Brilliance, Episode 9. I'm your host, Catherine Kui. Today, I'm talking with Elaine Taylor-Klaus. Hi, Elaine. Hi, Catherine. It's so fun to be able to see you through Zoom and to be able to see all the books behind you. I see different books on your bookshelf about ADHD, and you and I have had a chance to talk a little bit this morning, and I, I feel like we're in similar mindsets, which is always really fun. It's not like I get to talk to people who are passionate about ADHD every day. Um, so let's let's go for it. Your book is coming out in September. Yeah. What's the title again? So the book is called The Essential Guide to Raising Complex Kids with ADHD, Anxiety, and More. And it's, um, it's everything that, that parents and teachers really need to know to raise complex kids, complicated kids with, with calm and confidence. It's kind of the guidebook we all wish we had that's never been there. Now it's there. There's actually going to be a guidebook for parents of complex kids. Okay. Because so- I needed it and it didn't exist. And so now it does. <laughs> Right. You and I both. So one of the things we have in common is that I have a son who's now 21 who has the ADHD combined presentation. So the Mm -hmm. inattentive and the hyperactive impulsive symptoms. And you have three kids who have, and and how old are your kids? I have three now young adults. So my kids are now uh, 19, 23. And by the time this airs, 26. Okay. Um, and, and now a soon-to-be daughter-in-law who's 32. All of us have, um, have ADHD. I call it ADHD++. ADHD++. Right. ADHD. Some have anxiety. Some have learning disabilities. Some have depression. You know, everybody's got something because it's very common for ADHD to, to have something else that comes with it. You are so right. And so one of the things about my background is that I'm specialize in pediatric neuropsychology. You and I haven't had a chance to even talk too much, but I've done a ton of the testing over the years and what 30 to 50% of kids with ADHD have learning disabilities and the, the anxiety is so high too. So you've been researching all this. Yeah. Well, I've been living it. <laughs> so at some point you live in, it's like, okay, I can't be the only one. And so, yeah, I did do some research a number of years ago. And according to my numbers, this is before I wrote my last book, um, 86% of, of kids with ADHD have some coexisting condition. I'm not sure if it's exactly that high, but it's it's somewhere around hovering around 70 to 80%. I would agree. I think that that fits with the research that I've done, that there is at least anxiety, some other difficulty going on. And yet there's so, it's kind of, I feel like sometimes when I talk about that, there's these other challenges that it, it's like negative, but the bottom line is your book is here to say, listen, we can do this. And you were sharing with me before we started 
that you do a lot of coaching about passing the baton. Yeah. you talk about what that means? What, is, yeah. like, what does it mean by passing the baton? So, so, so let me just sort of address what you're saying first to lean it to lead into that, and that's that. To me, it doesn't really matter what the diagnosis is, right? Whether your kid is struggling with anxiety or ADHD or learning disabilities or juvenile diabetes or PKU, it doesn't really matter what the condition is. If a child or a young adult has a condition that requires management, if, if you have something that's chronic that needs to be, that you need to learn to manage in order to be successful in life, then what I've learned is that coaching is a great method or modality for, for, for management, for change management. It's about how do you create the change and create lasting change, right? Because um, it's easy for anybody to start going to a gym, but how do you keep going to the gym? Right. And so when I talk about passing the baton, I, I also a lot lately have been talking about passing the reins. Right. If, if, any, if you've ever ridden horses, you know that when you when you ride a horse, if you pull the reins too tight, the horse won't go anywhere. Right. So you have to loosen the reins for the horse to go. And as parents, what we need to learn to do is to realize that our job is not to ride the horse for our kids. Our job is to teach them how to be able to ride the horse for themselves. And so to do that, we have to loosen the reins. We have to pass the reins over, make sure they've got the reins, and then teach them how to ride it. And so very similar to that baton metaphor, if you're passing the baton in a relay race, you have to make sure they've got it before you let go, right? That's a great metaphor. I love right? that. So as parents, when I talk about passing the baton, we don't want to grow up, have our kids grow up for us to be the experts on their lives. We want to help them grow up for them to be the experts on their lives. Yeah. And so the way to do that is to help them understand themselves really well, to understand where, how they're wired, what works, what doesn't work, what they need to improve on without judgment, without shame, without blame, help them learn to ask for the help they need and advocate for themselves so that they can take leadership of their lives. And and to do that, usually it starts with us as parents and sometimes as teachers, understanding what those issues are so that we can help them understand themselves. It takes, I I refer to it as being a detective. I've written, you know, about, but I often say we have to be as parents, have a detective mindset. So we're watching and noticing little details like, oh, okay, when this when my child has Aaron's thinking putty in one hand, my child can engage in a writing task a lot more easily. When right. my child is in this space in the house and is chewing on an apple, I mean, whatever, there's all these details that help get the sensory needs met or whatever. Right. That's one tiny detail, but we're looking and you're right in a way where we're being, the hard part is being non-judgmental, patient, all of those yeah details, right? So, so what you're pointing to is what I, I say the solutions are in the successes, right? So when we can look to when they're doing something that's working for them, when they do something successfully or do something well, if we can kind of deconstruct that and go back and say, okay, what were the conditions that made that work for you? What, what helped that? Okay, you, you were really successful with that because you had a fidget in your hand. Yeah. You were really successful with that because you knew where to start, you know, what the first step was in the task, whatever it is. If we can understand what's working 
we can build on that and we can map that. I, 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 in the old days, I did used to work with, with teens. I don't anymore. I only work with adults now, but I used to coach teens. And I was working with a 14-year-old girl who was really struggling to get her homework done. And so we spent some time talking about the, the spend the night party that she had planned. And we went through all the steps and all the processes that she had to go through to plan the spin the night party and what she considered and the conversation she had to have. And she was really proud of this, this experience. And, and she was a very socially motivated kid. And so we took what she had done and we mapped it to something she needed to do. And she, she got it in a different way because we focused on where she had success. Where she had success. Isn't that the truth? And so, mm-hmm. so often when you and I have kids that we're working with or parents, you, you don't work with children, but uh, when we're working with families, we're having to explain that focus on what's working. And, yeah. and I think it's, many times such a relief to families to feel like, cause they feel so unsuccessful. Like my gosh, I can't get anything right. Did you as a coach go through a coaching program? How did you become a coach? So, so my story is I, I had three young kids and all with complex issues. And I was doing some work in my community, uh, running a speaker series for parents and, and professionals um, because I, I, needed, I needed support. And what I discovered is there was a lot of support available for kids and there just wasn't a lot available for parents. And, you know, and I could go to a therapist and, and I did, and I love therapy and it wasn't really what I needed. I needed a Sherpa. I needed a guidance. I needed help. I needed someone to hold my hand through the wilderness. And, and I kept looking for it and I couldn't find it. And so I was actually on my way back to school, to graduate school, to become a therapist. That was my goal. I took the GRE. And, and that's how I was diagnosed, actually, because I was trying oh, to take the GREs. I was diagnosed around 40-ish because every one of my kids was diagnosed. It was kind of like dominoes. And by that point, it was like, there's no way that my husband's responsible for all of this. <laughs> like, there is just no way. And I looked at one of my, psych- my daughter's psychiatrists. I said, um, could I have it too? And she pa- basically patted me on the head and said, no, honey, you're just a mom. And, and so really? I dismissed it for a while, really. And oh, then, but because this was a long time ago, I mean, this was, this was still in the early 2000s. So we still didn't really get that adults had it to the extent that adults do. We really didn't, didn't see, understand women's ADHD as well then. I mean, Sari Sultan's book was out by them, but only by about 10 years. Right. So she dismissed, I was dismissed for a while. And then I finally, I realized that I had not gone back and taken the GREs and gone to graduate school, even though I was a really high achieving, successful kid in in college because I had burned out because I had worked so hard, I'd burned myself out. And so when I went to take the GREs, I decided to have myself evaluated and I was identified with, with attention and learning disability. And it was like my whole life made sense for the first time. I realized why I had studied why I, what I had studied, why I had not studied. Like I should have been a psych social major. I didn't take psychology because I had to take tests. And after my first year of college, because of my working memory, I only took classes where I had to write papers. But I didn't understand that I was accommodating for myself. No. Right? I didn't know what it was. I just knew that I couldn't take tests. Wow. Okay. So right? So I learned to accommodate. So when, when I made, when I was diagnosed around 40, it was like this huge light bulb of my life went on. And after I stopped crying, because I 
did cry for a couple of weeks, you know. There, I think part of it is like, is the relief of knowing. And part of it was the missed opportunities, right? The things I would have done differently if I had known earlier, right? And so that's why I'm such a big, um, a big believer in, in diagnosis, because I think when we give kids an explanation for what's going on with them, we can help them learn to manage it. But if we don't give them, you know, parents come to me all the time and say, I don't want to label my kids. But if you don't give them a label, what they make up is way worse. They're going to sit, they're going to decide they're lazy, crazy, or stupid. So I was sure I was stupid and nobody really knew it and that I was fooling everybody. Right. It makes me so sad for people with, with ADHD that go around with, and you know, Elaine, one of the things that I've noticed when I'm at different before COVID, when I was at book fairs, and I had my book out and I had many adults share their stories, yeah. which I am being a specialist in children and adolescents. I hadn't had that experience. Ooh. Yeah, I get it every day. You get every it day. all the time because that's, mm-hmm. but I had all of these adults wander over to my table and I had all these fidgets on my table, of course. So they're right. like, what's this? And then share how lazy, crazy, and stupid they felt. Yeah. Uh, And now you have all these adults who are getting diagnosed because their kids are getting diagnosed. And they're seeing themselves. You know, Ned Holloway used to say, there's nothing wrong with my kid. He's just like me. (laughs) Right? And that's how you have. Have your children been really similar to you, Elaine? Very different. We all have. It's it's really, that's a fascinating piece. And and I know I was kind of off on a tangent. I'm not sure where I was going with it. But um but in my family, there are five of us, and, and the way that the ADHD and everything shows up is very different for each of us. One of my daughters and I are very much alike. My husband and my eldest child, they're very much alike. My youngest son is kind of amalgam between us. So part of what we had to learn as a family was the differences and how it showed up and to be able to work around each of our differences and not... Um, oftentimes what happens with, with parents is, well, this is how I managed my ADD. And so they think they need to do that for their kids. And, and the truth is that it's all about a process of understanding how it shows up for each person and then working through how do you manage it for that person? Because the system for me is going to be very different from the system for my son. And so we really need to, to look at it. It's a, it's a one by one individual process. And so what we talk about is the process of decision-making, right? It's about moving into a collaborative process, that transferring of the baton. But instead of introducing systems for our kids, what we really want to do is take them through the process of problem solving so they understand how to create systems for themselves. I love that. What a gift that you give to so many people, helping them navigate their way also individualizing it and saying this you're different than everybody else and of course as mm-hmm. as a healer type i mean you are empowering each person to say i see you i want to help unpack what's happening with you and i want to help lead you to success in a non-judgmental way and i've been there i have adhd yeah. I have kids my spouse has it and i will walk with you and and what what I want to do, and this goes back to what you we were saying, when I was diagnosed and I sort of looked back on my life, um, what I knew 
I had, I, I call it, it was like this epiphanous moment. I used to call it my Scarlett O'Hara moment, mm. um, you know, like on a, on a porch in the woods in a cabin, it's like, as God is my witness, no parent should ever have to go through alone what I went through those first 10 years. Cause it was really, really harsh and hard. And on the outside, nobody knew how much I was struggling. Mm. And on the inside, it felt like everything was falling apart. And I, and I just didn't know what to do. And what I realized is I started getting into this work. And so, so that I, be, I, I started telling you, that's what I started telling you is that I became a coach because I was on my way to become a therapist oh, yes, and yes. I couldn't find a coaching, a, a therapy program that met my schedule with my kids. I finished the GREs. I was looking to apply. And so some, several people had said to me, you should go get a coaching certification. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I'm an academic. I'm an, you know, I'm an intelligent person. I'm going to go get a, a therapy degree. Um, and I went to an, an, a coaching training and that first afternoon I called my husband in tears. I said, like, I found it, this is it. And I dove in and I did, you know, a full coaching and a full certification program and leadership program and all this stuff, because I realized that coaching was a very empowerment based modality. It was about finding what works and empowering people to create the change that they really want to change. And and what I learned in one of those workshops was that my real goal, yes, I'm all about helping parents, but my, my real why is because I don't want kids to grow up mm-hmm. feeling the way that I felt and my husband felt, my brother felt, feeling broken, right? We are not broken. We are creative and resourceful and whole and capable when when we can be cultivated. And so what I really want is to teach parents to find that and cultivate that amazingness in their kids. That's wonderful. Yeah, That's what it's about, right? So we're using the same word because I just finished teaching a class on cultivating brilliance in middle school ADHD. And that word cultivate. Yeah. So true. Some people get irritated with people like you and me because they think that we're (laughs) we're focusing so much on the positives and that ADHD is really hard, but I don't think we're ignoring how hard it is. We're just also saying there's a lot that we can, we can do to empower. Well, I think that the number one rule of ADD coaching is play to your strengths and outsource your challenges. (laughs) As soon as I got diagnosed, first thing I did was I hired a bookkeeper before I even had a business. I hired a bookkeeper. It's like, why am I spending two days a week trying to pay my bills when somebody else can do it in two hours? That's like, this so is smart of you, right? It was the be- one of the best things. There were several things I did early on that I look back, it's like, well, that was prescient. That was smart, right? But like, I, I have a kid. My, I told you my oldest is, is about to be 26. And, um, and they really, really, really struggled in school a lot, like really struggled. They had a ton of diagnoses. They were complex, yeah. complex kid. Um, and we had nutritional stuff going on, all this stuff. They're extraordinarily successful now as an adult. And they are because at some point we stopped trying to keep up with the Joneses, stopped trying to to put them into some box that they just didn't fit in and started playing to their strengths. So they're great. I put them in a, an after school Shakespeare class. I always had them in acting classes and drama classes. And I used to joke that it was just cheaper than therapy. They were in therapy too, but you know, this kid was really complicated. And, oh um, and now they're an actor and a really successful independent 
off the payroll actor, right? Um, and that's because we stopped making school the most important thing for that kid and started focusing on what is that, what does this kid need? And that's not to say that they're not bright, they're brilliant. They, they're totally brilliant. But, you know, the blank page paralysis of, of, a, of writing a paper was not their gift. So if people want to work with you, they can go to your website. Can you give the share your website? So the website is impactadhd.com. Although by the time this airs or people are hearing it, it may be impactparents.com because we are expanding. And so Impact Parents will become the parent company. Impact ADHD will still be very much there and we'll also have Impact Anxiety um, because we've got tons and tons of content. We've had a, a, a blog for, for almost 10 years. And so there's a ton of content. So we're kind of categorizing it a little bit better so that people can use it a little bit more effectively. Okay. So impactparents.com and there's lots of resources. There's free tip sheets and downloads. You can ske- schedule sanity sessions to meet with one of us. If you want some coaching, we do group coaching. Um, the, the place for most parents to start is with a training program called Sanity School for Parents, which is a behavior therapy training program. So it's really the, the essential tools of the coach approach to parenting. And it's very similar to the content that's in the book and the essential oh. guide. Do you also work with people who aren't parents, adults who have ADHD who are not parents? Um, not very often. Usually I will refer them to other experts who, who do that work more. Sometimes I do. It just it kind of depends on what their story is. Right. Um, I have training in that. My training is as a coach. And then I got additional training in, in ADHD coaching specifically. Um, but it's not my it's not my area of focus. And so I, I usually make referrals to people if they're adults who don't have kids. Now, if they're adults who do have kids, but they want to work on their own adult ADD, that I do work with a lot. Usually when parents say, my kid needs a coach, I say, does your kid want a coach? Right. And usually they then say, no, but he needs one. Oh, right. Right. right? And so my response to that is, okay, he's not ready. Oh, and I, so I will work with a parent to get a parent to a point where their their communication with their child or teen or adult, young adult is is strong enough where they're helping that kid learn how to ask for the help they need and want it. Because I want you to, I want you to, for those of you listening, if you're, if you want your kid to have a coach, and I think it's an amazing tool for support for managing ADD or ADHD, you want to make sure they're ready for it. You want to make sure they're going to use it and they they want it. And so that early work of getting them to that point starts with with you, the parent, not with just giving them, because otherwise a coach is just giving them another system instead of helping them figure out what their system is. It's so true. It, It honestly is. I think in this day and age with COVID, what's happened is well, one of the most wonderful things is that now you can see people long distance much more easily, yeah. right? Yes. I would never even be asking you, but some of the people that I see, they have too close of a connection with me. Uh, I'm shifting my practice and, you know, now a college student can see someone that they couldn't see before because- yeah that person's long distance and it doesn't matter. That's one of the well, And it's funny, we've been doing this for almost 10 years. Virtual work. Virtual, I, I'm completely virtual, always have been. I work with parents literally all over the world. My most recent client is from South Africa. Like it, time zones can be complicated sometimes, but that's about it. Yeah. I, I literally everywhere in the world 
we can support parents using this power of the internet and and the brilliance of coaching. And, and we've been doing it for, for over, I've been doing it for over a decade. It's amazing, isn't it? Isn't so it, it, everybody else, the COVID happened. It's like, well, welcome to my world. <laughs> you know, That's it's wonderful. so nice to have you all. So before we go, if you were going to, and so the people that are going to be watching this, many of them are going to be parents. Mm-hmm. Let's say that you have parents who are listening and they're thinking, well, how do I, my child is not ready. Mm-hmm. How do I work on this? I'm thinking about parents of adolescents and parents of middle schoolers. What would you, what are three bits of advice that you would say to them before we go on how to navigate this process? Okay. Great question. So, so first of all, and, and I was thinking about this earlier, one of the things we talk about in, in the book, in the Essential Guide and also in Sandy School, is that there are four phases to parenting. And what happens with, often with parents of kids with ADHD is we get stuck in phase one. And phase one is about directing and helping and, and telling kids what the motivation is. We're going to do this. This is when we're going to do it. And this is, this is the reward you're going to get for it, right? By the time kids are hitting adolescence, they are really ready for us to be out of phase one and at least into phase two, if not phase three, right? So phase one is directing, phase two is collaborating, phase three is parents moving into a support role, and phase four is championing, okay? So directing is, we all know, we're all very good at that, right? (laughs) Phase two is collaborating. That's when you begin to share the agenda. Now it's no longer my agenda that you do your homework. It's shared. We both agree that homework needs to be done. We start asking more questions in phase two. You said this earlier, ask, not tell, right? Yeah. So we start saying, asking them, what do you, what do you think? What time this is, what, home, what do you have for homework? Or um, when do you think, what are the times that you might want to do your homework or whatever? Yeah. Um, in, in COVID world, it may be, where are some places you think you might want to set up to do your classes while we're at home, right? If, if, you're, if you're home, schooling from home. Um, so you're beginning to ask questions so that they have some ownership, but there's still a shared ownership, mm-hmm. right? Um, and you want them to start figuring out what their motivation is. By phase three, which most teenagers want to be in phase three, whether they're ready for it or not is a different question, but they want, and it, and let me be clear, it's not the kid that's in the phase, it's the parent, how the parent is interacting with the kid. Most parent, kid, teenagers want their parents to be in phase three. Mm-hmm. I've got this, stay out. Yep. Right. And so phase three is about supporting. You've got this, this is your agenda. How can I help you in your agenda? How can I help you in achieving your goals? So it's really important that we help our kids see what's in it for them, not what we think it. They're not going to do it because it's good for them or because it was on a checklist Mm -hmm. or because it's going to be important for them to know when they're older. Yes. They need to do it because they want to get it done because they've got a game they want to play. They need to do it because they want to be on par with their peers. Like they need to have a motivation that works for them. Right. And so in phase three, you're really supporting them in their agenda. And then phase four, ideally, they're off in their lives and coming back to, to seek sage counsel and advice. Yeah. Right. So phase three might be, for example, if there's a college age student who needs support, phase three might be, hey, as your parent, if you need 
a certain level of support, I know someone you may want to check. Yeah, exactly. It may be. So that's a great example. When my daughter was in college, um, she was pretty much, I was pretty much in phase three with her most of college. Mm -hmm. She would, she would call stressed out. And I would say, is there someone, you know, who can you talk to to get some help with this? Oh yeah. I can go to crystal. She had a, you know, a person that she worked with every week. Got it, mom. Right. And she was fine. And then when she would go through a rough spell, and that happens in college um, or exams or something, sometimes we would switch back and I'd move a little bit more into phase two with her. It's like, do you little, do you need a little more help? Would you like me to talk this through with you? Mm. Or maybe she would call and she'd say, can you just scribe for me? Let me talk and you scribe because yeah. she has dyslexia as well. And so sometimes I would write for her. I would just type whatever she said, you know, and ask her questions. Exactly. So you're constantly moving between, and you can be in phase three with a kid who's really into soccer and has all their stuff together, but still needs you to be in phase two to get their homework done, their schoolwork done. So you're dancing with it. And I know this was a long answer to the, to the, what are three things, but, but the most important thing is to understand that our role needs to be responsive to their needs and it's constantly changing. Right. And so the, the other thing, so one I would say is really understand the role you're in and what the, what the role that your kid needs you to be in now and, and, and how to begin to shift to that. And then the other is probably, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of sage things that we teach because it's all a coach approach, but it's, it's to take the marathon view to know that you're in this for the long haul and you can't do it all at once. Yes. So take aim on one thing at a time where you want to transfer that baton and keep scaffolding and supporting all of those other things that you're doing, but make sure that you're always transferring the baton. At least one thing that there's always something they're taking on and taking ownership and independence on and becoming competent in before you pass the next one. So whether it's teaching them to do the laundry or to unload the dishwasher or to get started on on their schoolwork, knowing that having some agreement with them that they have one thing, okay, I'm doing this independently. I'm now in, I've, I've got the ownership. You're, you're supporting me, but this is mine. Yes. Yeah. I just did that this morning because my son got beet juice on his show. And so he came to me with the beet juice, but then it's like, well, we kind of, the baton went back in terms of the stain remover, where that might be. And then I was in phase two of the, a little bit saying you put it on the extra small cycle because it's just one shirt. Right. But then not going down there <laughs> and just having back to phase three, back to phase three, because then he went down and got it all in, you know, and again, it's sort of, I think he would be embarrassed listening to me talk because he's like, for God's sakes, mom, you know, I mean, I'm successful in college, but again, I see that About like life. washing a shirt and getting a stain out is a very different, it's, it's, it's a phase tour. It, it's, it's, it's yep. a I naturally would just grab the shirt, put the stain stuff and run down into the basement myself. That's phase one, right? Yes. Phase one is doing it yourself. Phase two is saying, here's the cycle. Here's the thing. Phase three might be saying, what cycle do you think you would set it on? Right. And, and it's, I mean, I think that the beauty of this pandemic is it's teaching us, giving us an environment to really teach our kids life skills that we never got to because we were so busy trying to get them to get their homework done. Yes. Right. So they're learning to cook and they're learning to do laundry and, you know, all of these things and clean houses and which is 
powerfully important life skills. Gosh. So important. Yes. But but how we do that sets them up for, for learning how to do other things. So if I say, if I ask enough questions like, what cycle do you think you would use? Do you, do you, have you ever used a stain remover? Like if I ask some of those questions, when they answer it, they're owning the answer and they, it's teaching them that process of problem solving. If I just give them the answer, they never need to start figuring out what the questions would be. That's so they don't have to go through process. So I was talking to a couple yesterday with a 16-year-old. For some reason, the beginning of the pandemic, I was getting all these calls from parents of six-year-olds. Now I'm getting tons of calls from parents of 16-year-olds. Okay. So I think the power struggles have gotten weary for people yeah. now, four months in. Um, so I was talking to the parent of a 16-year-old, and she was and she was complaining that you know he just doesn't really care. And what I asked her a bunch of questions to. And the, the point was, um, he doesn't need to care because she cares for him. Yes. Right? That's a very level one, phase one place. And so until you can collaborate and start sharing that agenda, he has no way to, to take the agenda because you're holding it. You're holding all of And it's scary to let go of the agenda, of it course, is but it's so empowering scary. to let go. It That's feels right. so good to, to the phases in my life where I have decided when this huge mess is going to be left out and it could be either teen, either kid, when this mess is left out and I, in my mind decide I'm actually going to wait until five o'clock today when they come home to have them do it. I'm not going to clean this up. Do it. And I don't know why I couldn't wait that long earlier in life. I'm not quite sure, but it's my, everybody has a different process. But I, well, I, and I also think that, that we go through a lot of sh- blame and shame. We play this game with ourselves. I should have a kid who knows better to clean up, so I'm going to clean it up so it doesn't, like, we, we, we play these games with ourselves, right? Yes. I, it, he should have known I did something wrong, that he didn't know to do that, and so therefore, oh, right? It's complicated. Whatever yeah. phase I'm in now, I'm not in blame and shame, and I'm able to leave things longer. Awesome. And it feels so good to be able to let go and not think I have anything to do with that or I even need to direct it. Because I also know my husband will walk by it. He probably won't clean it up, but then he'll walk himself and he'll say, hey, Emma, you know, when are you going to take care of this? And there's new dynamics that develop when you don't do things. So it it feels really good. Yeah, absolutely. There is... What am I, I said the biggest rule of ADHD coaching is play to your strengths and outsource your challenges. The other number one thing that comes up when I'm coaching adults who have discovered they have ADHD is to put the stick down, is to stop beating yourself over the head with the stick you've been using all these years to manage yourself and to put it down and say, let it be good enough. We talk about GMO, good enough, move on. And it's good enough that, that, you know, you can get them to do it when they get home without the judgments. Like, I can't believe you left that. Oh, no, right. You just, no. Uh, can you take care of that before you go to your room or to go play games or whatever? Sure, mom. Like well, if you ask right. openly, they'll be responsive in a very different way than if you come from judgment. Well, um, you know what I'm also learning is that can you take care of that sometimes is not met with 
joy at all. And sometimes, can you take care of that? I work so hard to keep my voice neutral and avoid a lot of eye contact. And sometimes it's still met with a bristled response, but that that's not my problem. And that my kids said, my teen and young adult have said, mom, I might not respond to you, you know, with, with a positive, but it's still my job to do it. And I don't have to always be positive about it. You got to say, they don't have to like it. Yeah. And they tell me that I don't have to like it. And and you know what? You just let me not be happy about, I'm not exactly brilliant. Let me just stage advice. So, so I can't wait to read your book one more time. Sell the, say the title. I really am so excited about it. So what is it one more time? It's the essential guide to raising complex kids with ADHD, anxiety, and more. And, um, and if people go to impactadhd.com slash essential, they can get uh, the, uh, some extra content that, that has been written around it and maybe a sample chapter. I'm not sure what will be there when this airs, um, but there'll definitely be, be extra stuff, some extra goodies that people can get in addition to the book. Okay. Um, so the essential guide to raising complex kids with ADHD, anxiety, and more. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me on Finding Your Brilliance. It was an absolute pleasure, Catherine. Thank you. I love this conversation. And my guest today was Elaine Taylor-Klaus. And if this topic speaks to you, please subscribe to my podcast. Mm-hmm.